The Bible's to Exodus chapter 28 tonight. Again, we're going to, uh, if the guys will put that uh, uh, drawing or that artist conception of the high priest, we're going to review just a little bit and then and uh, and they can get right into the rest of it tonight. Uh, I'll tell you, I'm thankful that uh, Rick's doing okay. Uh, pray for him and pray for Sister Erlene uh, Maloney. Uh, she's hopefully maybe trying to have surgery tomorrow, having some conflict in the hospital, you know, so forth. A lot of people in hospitals, but pray for her that this thing will get done and she'll be able to get headed on the road to recovery. I want you also pray for Sister um, uh, Lakey, uh, Sonia, and, and also pray for Lane. Both of them have some health problems they're dealing with, and I'd just like you to keep them in prayer. Those people have been through a lot of trial, and, and I tell you, they're precious people in the Lord. Well, let's, uh, I want to pick it up tonight. Um, back up in chapter 28 in verse number 9. Thou shalt make two onk stones and grave them. I want you to uh, underline the word grave or engrave or engraving, okay? Engrave them on the names of the, of the children of Israel. Six of their names on one stone, the other six names and the rest of the other stone according to their birth. With the work of engraver in stone, like the engraving of a signet, which thou shalt engrave, the two stones with the names of the, ch- names of the children of Israel, thou shalt make them to be set in ouches of gold. And thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial, underline memorial, underline shoulders and memorial, under the children of Israel, and Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord. That's an important statement. Bear their names before the Lord. <coughs> Thou shalt make uh, two ouches of gold, verse number 14, two chains. And now pay attention to the number of times that the word grave or engrave is in there. And then also chains in the chapter. Two chains of pure gold at the ends of wreathing work. Thou shalt make them fasten the wreathing chains to the ouches. And he then takes off on what we preached on this morning. And if you pick it up in verse number 21, it says, And the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel, twelve, according to their names, underline twelve, according to the names, like the engravings, and there's the next engravings. Does anybody know how many times the word engrave, engraving, engraver has been said so far? Anyway, count them up and, and you start getting with me on this. Uh, verse 22, And thou shalt make upon the breastplate chains at the end of the wreathing work of pure gold, and thou shalt make upon the breastplate two rings of gold, and thou shalt put two rings in the two ends of the breastplate. Thou shalt put the two wreathing, wreathing chains of gold in the two rings which are on the ends of the breastplate. The other two ends of the two wreathing chains shalt thou fasten in the two ouches and put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod before it. Thou shalt make two rings of gold, and thou shalt put them upon the two ends of the breastplate and the border thereof, which is on the, in the side of the ephod inward. And two other rings of gold thou shalt make, and shalt put them on the two sides of the ephod underneath, toward the forepart thereof, over against the other coupling thereof above the curious girdle of the ephod. And there you shall bind the breastplate up by the rings thereof unto the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue that it may be above the curious girdle of the ephod and that the breastplate be not loosed from the ephod. Mm. And the children and Aaron shall bear, get this right here now, and Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart and when he goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. 
and thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goeth in before the Lord, and Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. The Bible says in the New Testament that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Amen. Continually. He ever lives. I don't know, tonight I'm just in a lot more quiet mood than it was this morning. And I'm not, I'm fine. But I'm just kind of, just a real peaceful, tranquil, resting in the Lord. Anyway, um, let's pray. I'll tell you what I'd like to do. Robert, way back here at the back, do I get your name right, Robert? I probably don't look like I am. Esther's daddy and Andrew's daddy. Donald. How come I always want to call you Robert? I have no earthly idea. But Donald? Donald, right? Donald. I've got to connect that to something to remember that. Anyway, would you pray for the preaching tonight and for the rest of the would you care to leave? Would you care to pray? I'd like for you to if you would, if you don't care. Our Father in heaven, we just approach the throne of grace through the precious blood of our Lord Amen. Jesus Christ. Father, I'd ask in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that you would just prevent Satan and his demons from entering in this conversation and stealing the Word of God out of our mind, Lord, and that the Holy Spirit would have free course to do in the minds of people that He wishes to do, Lord, and that the anointing of the Holy Spirit would be upon Pastor Reggie, Lord, and that you would just put the words in His mouth, Lord, that you would give Him wisdom as He preaches His Word, Lord. And Father, I just do ask these things in Jesus Christ, our Lord's name, until He returns. Amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, brother, brother Donald. I thank you. And if I call you Robert, just look at me and go. Like that. Let's review a little bit tonight, and just talking. You kind of get in with me, all right? We started off this morning. And said that there were seven garments, or seven pieces of the garments of the priesthood. What's the seven numbers? Number seven stand for perfection and completion. And so that teaches us that as Jesus, as our high priest, we are complete and perfect in Christ. And he is a complete and perfect Savior. Then we talked about <clears throat> this morning the colors that were mentioned. There were five of them, gold, blue. Uh, I try to memorize purple, scarlet, and linen. All of them spoke of his deity, of his heavenly uh, being. Uh, the purple speaks of his royalty, that he's not just a priest but a king. Scarlet, of course, we said speaks of redemption. And the linen speaks of his righteousness being imputed to us by faith in Jesus Christ. And there's five of those. And we said that it's all by all his work of redemption is done by grace and through grace. And uh, we said then that it's four square, this, uh, this deal that he put on, this breastplate. And guys, if you want to put that up, you can, that it was a four square. That's what the Bible said it was to be. We said that that is saying that the gospel is given to the whole world and that Jesus tasted death for every man. And we said then that this thing was doubled. At, uh, and when you double four, you have eight, new beginning of resurrection. And when we, were, when we have Christ as our Savior accepted in the Beloved, 
Uh, it's a new birth, and the Holy Ghost of God does that. He places us in the body of Christ, a new beginning of life. <clears throat> we talked about the span this morning. The span is from your tip of your thumb to the tip of your little finger. And uh, we said that the Bible talks about how that we're in His hand, and no one can pluck us out of His hand. And we'll get into a little bit more of that tonight. But uh, John 10, 25, Father which gave me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. We also said that the doubling speaks of that He said, I and my Father are one. We got into the stones this morning. <clears throat> And we talked about how the first Peter chapter two says that we're lively stones and uh, the church, uh, there's a double application to all of this, of course, Israel and the church, the church is not replacing Israel, but uh, is, the church was in the mind of God from the beginning. And we talked about how that where God put the stones at, that we as believers are to be lively stones and we, that we're on the heart of God. And we talked about the affection that God has. And uh, we talked about the shoulders there. We're going to get into that a little bit more. But it's connected to the shoulders. The shoulders speaks of, speaks of his strength and his power. And the, on his breast speaks of his affection, his love. And this great truth that I think is so applicable to every area of life. It's in your family. doesn't make it worse. Is never disconnect God's strength from his affection. Never exercise the power of God or you know, preach or whatever or, or administer the power of God apart from His affection. God doesn't do that and you and I should not do that. And so anyway, it's a very important thing there. We talked about the place of the setting that uh, God has put us where He, uh, God has set the members uh, in the place that pleased Him and that we're resting in the Lord Jesus Christ upon His, and by the way, can anybody tell me where John the Apostle laid his head? Right there. And again, picturing of our great high priest. And by the way, I didn't talk about this last week about the great high priest or the high priest. If when you study it and read it, you'll constantly find out that God emphasizes able to have compassion, uh, able to identify with people. And one of the things that the great high priest offices is just is the compassion of God. And he's, you just read that through Scripture. Anytime you talk about a priest, that they were, they were to be compassionate toward the people and, and, and sweet-spirited toward the people. And God is that way with us. Amen. They ain't nobody speak peace to you like Jesus can. There's an old song that says, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. And that's the honest truth. So we got into to all of that last or this morning. And tonight we're going to take off just on some other things that we can glean from the breastplate of the great high priest. So the next thing I want to mention is the engraving. And I tell you, I had a great blessing this morning after church. Two young men came up to me and they started telling me things that they were seeing in this passage of scripture. And man, I'll tell you what, it was exciting. So I told them, I said, well, if I leave any of it out tonight, you be sure and get a hold of me. But I want to talk about the engraving now. If you go to Jeff City and you walk into the rotunda, up on the marble and the granite up there, they have Bible verses engraved. I think our forefather, and by the way, it's all over Washington, D.C. too. If you, if you go up there and you, you go around and go through it all, Bible verses are engraved on those great big buildings. Where did they get that at? They got that from this principle of Scripture of engraving. Uh, it says down in verse number 21, it says that, like, it, or let's pick it up there in verse number 9. And he said, to engrave on them. 
So we have the engraving. You go down to verse number 11, the work of the engraver in stone, like the engraving of a signet. Thou shalt engrave. So far you have four. To get the next one, you have to come down to verse 21. And in verse 21, it talks about like the engravings of a signet. So now how many times is that word used in that passage of scripture? Five times. What's he telling us? Grace. Everything's by grace. Everything's by, and he's engraving us. I want you to put up on the, uh, the wall here, Isaiah 49, verse 15 and 16. And I'm going to tell you, this is a great, great passage. And once you engrave something on something, you put it in there to stay, amen? It's not just papered on there. It's engraving. Isaiah 59, verse 15 and 16. Watch this. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget. A mother might forget. Yet what? Listen to it. He's probably using the strongest attachment in human experience, a mother with her child. He said, you know what? Sad to say in our culture, pretty bad. But historically and for people of any kind of right mind, the most greatest attachment and not letting go is that child. He said that might happen, but he said, I'll never forget you. I'll never forget you. I want you to remember something. When Jesus said in part of his great high priestly work, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's one of the most powerful statements in the entire Word of God. Yeah. Verse number 16 says, now watch everybody, look at this. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. One of the boys came up to me this morning and I, I'm not sure that I had thought about this. I may have in time past, but I'm not sure that I did. And one of them said to me, Reggie, when Jesus died on the cross, engraved in his hand, your Bible teaches he still has the scars. And I believe that that, I really do believe he was on to something, that that's a picture of that great truth that we are engraven in his hand, in, in his, in his hands. <clears throat> it's in there five times. Jesus said that he knows his sheep in John chapter 10. They know me. He calls his own sheep by name. The names are written in there. The Bible teaches that our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. Um, I, to me, the engraving is something else. names engraved. You go buy your wife a necklace and you have her name what? You just don't say put a piece of tape on her and write her name on it. Right? What are you telling, what are you telling your wife when, that, when she gets that engraved? That meant her name means that she means something to you. It has an enduring purpose to it. And I want you to know something. Like, I want you to get this. Your name as a believer is engraved on the shoulders of your Lord Jesus Christ and on his heart. Amen. Yeah. To me, this most amazing truth 
if God gave his son to die for us and his son shed his blood for us and suffered for us and bore our sins in his own body on the tree for us. And he says, while we were yet sinners, Christ, that he loved us and he purchased us. Is there anybody in this building that can grasp that kind of love? And engraves us, secures us. I can't wrap my head around how much he loves me. But I hope somehow the Holy Ghost tonight will let you know that he loves you. You engrave names of people on things, you know, a tombstone, they engrave names. It's not a light thing. It's saying that, did you notice the memorial part in here, a memory? There's things God doesn't want us to forget and he doesn't want you to forget that he loves you, that he saved you, that he gave you eternal life, that you're going to live with him forever, that you are safe in him, secure in him. I wished I could preach it. But there are some truths that's beyond human articulation. Well, <clears throat> the gold settings in verse number 20, he said in the fourth row, barely said, they'll be set in gold in their enclosings. And I am set in God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Deity, gold speaks of deity. I'm set in him. I'm enclosed in him. I'm hid. My life, my life is hid with God in Christ. And so they're enclosed with Christ there. I'm going to ask you a question. Put that high priest up there again, that, if you will, guys. Now this man, Aaron, the high priest, and his garments represented Jesus Christ as our great high priest and what he does to save us. And he's given real, real explicit instructions. <clears throat> this is a reality. Is there anybody in here that thinks that Jesus could lose a stone? No. Your wife's wedding ring may <laughs> lose a stone, but he ain't losing one. Amen. Do you know what Jesus said in the New Testament about this? Of all that thou hast given me, I have lost none. That's right. He ain't losing no stone. Boy, I wish we could get a hold of this. Then there's the chains in verse number 22. Thou shalt make upon the breastplate chains. Now you'll find in verse number 14 the word chains twice. Then in verse 22. Then in verse 24. And then in verse 25. So how many times is he mentioned in chains? Five. Five. What's number five mean? Grace. Grace. Can anybody see that it's all by grace. It's just grace and grace and grace and manifold. It's manifold grace, just like he says in the New Testament. It's just grace after grace after grace after grace in our experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll give you another one. You're chained to him. <laughs> You're chained to him. Now, most of you in here will not remember a message I preached probably 
20 years ago entitled Chained to the Chariot. Some of you have heard that message. I'm not the only guy that's ever preached it. But Chained to the Chariot comes out of 1 Corinthians. And uh, when they would capture slaves or conquer people in armies and um, parade them before Caesar, they would chain them to the chariot. It's a picture in Corinthians there, chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says that we're made to triumph in every place. I want to ask you tonight again, was Paul triumphing when they cut his head off? Was Peter triumphing when he was crucified upside down? Were the Christians triumphing when they were thrown to the lions? You see, triumphing in Christ is not what the world sees as triumph. Let me tell you something tonight. Your troubles and your trials and all that you're going through, God is going to bring it out in triumph in the end. And let me tell you something. When the old devil does his last crawling on his knees before God Almighty, and he looks up and there's the old apostle Paul, you're going to say, who whipped? Who who triumphed? Amen? Amen? And I want to tell you a little something tonight. Now, this is a deep, hard truth for me. But in Christ... You and I triumphed on the cross. We were, we were crucified with him, buried with him. And that's, that's a triumph. Okay. But it, it's not an enjoyable thing. What I'm getting to is this, your troubles, your trials, your tribulations, your sorrows, your griefs, your disappointments are often disguised triumphs that you can't see. You can't see it now. But as Bible says, it's going to redound to your glory. Now, I don't know how God's going to work everything out. When he says it works all things together for good, I don't know how in the world. I tell you, there's some things I want. How, Lord, show me that. I'm a Missourian. Show me how that's going to work out. Show me how this is all going to work out for good. But it is. And I tell you tonight, when you feel like that just remember you're chained to him. You're setting gold. You're chosen. You're precious. You're placed. Now, the devil ain't coming up and snipping the chain. He ain't taking a hacksaw to it. <laughs> Old Brother Bill Lakin said, You're going to heaven whether you like it or not. <laughs> You belong to him. Amen. And he ain't letting you go. Amen. That's right. How many of you, you how many of you, we're so sorry. Yeah. We're so worthless, so wicked That's right. that Lord, you probably ought to just unhook. Yeah. <laughs> we're chained. Amen. Mm. I'll tell you, if I wasn't in a nice, peaceful spirit tonight, I'd be a jumping. So anyway, and then he got the rings. Look down in verse number, uh, all through there, you're going to see rings. In verse number 24, in verse number 26, verse number 27, verse number 28 twice. So that's one, two, three, four. Well, wouldn't you know? 
How many times rings is in here? How many times? Five times. <laughs> grace again. How many understand we're saved by grace? <laughs> we're kept by grace. We're going to make it by grace. Rings. Well, what's a ring do? You know something? Every time I put this thing back on, I said once I never would after I hung myself up in a barn one time on a nail and it cut, it rolled the flesh back. But finally, I put it back on. I think I had it stretched, didn't I, Karen? Maybe. I don't know for sure. But some of, the, some of you got them rubber rings, and I understand that way if you get hung, you ain't going to get hurt. But I want to ask you something. <clears throat> when I am working during the day, and I look down and see that ring, this ring is a memorial, and that's exactly what God said that we should do about this, is use it as a memorial. He get these rings on there. I should remember some things. What should I remember? I'd like to encourage all of you this week to take a look at your wedding ring again. What is it? What should it remind you of? Number one, I'm married. <laughs> Number two, I'm not available. <laughs> right? Okay. But you've heard probably at wedding ceremonies before about this. This is kind of a sign of infinity. It's, there's no end to it. Also, in married in Christ to Karen, according to Romans chapter 7, verse number 2, I believe that, that's the verse. Put that up there, guys. Romans 7, verse 2. I'll find out real quickly. Right? Oh, oh, watch this. He, watch this. That he ever liveth to make intercession. Now, can anybody tell me how I can get loose from Karen? She dies. She dies. Now, you don't kill them. You just let them die, okay? You, <laughs> you, don't, you don't help. <laughs> you don't put poison in your husband's coffee. You just let him choke, all right? Watch this. For the woman. Now, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna put some words in here for you. For the woman which hath an husband, the woman the church, which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as what? Amen. No end. He'll never die. Now watch this. The woman, us, is bound to him, Christ, as long as he liveth. That's exactly the truth. That, by the way, is why this world hates the, the, the sacredness of, of, of Christian biblical marriage is because it pictures our Lord Jesus Christ. And he, the Bible said, behold, I am he. I was dead and now I'm alive forevermore. And he ain't never dying. He's life itself. So I can't ever be married to nobody else. <laughs> And he ain't going to die. It's an eternal, are you getting this? It's an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. And unless he dies, brother, it's on. Amen. And you know what he's telling us? I ain't, I, I ain't, that's why he can say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's not going to leave us in death. He's not going to leave us in any other situation that you can bring up. I'm telling you, all this stuff is trying to tell you and me who we have in Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And if I'm not preaching Christ, I'll not be preaching anyway. Amen. That's rings. 
Now, by the way, by the way, the, I, I, I went wrong on that. I'm wrong on that. Has anybody found out I was wrong already? I preached something wrong. I just now remember. Rings is in there seven times, not five times. It's, seven, it's twice down there in verse number, uh, verse 28. I knew, I, 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 what's the number of seven? Completion. And he's saying there that we're complete in Christ, perfect in Christ. It's a symbol of his unending love. I want to ask you, is there ever going to be a time when God doesn't love you? He said, boy, you should have been with me last week, Reggie, when that went wrong, man. I know God quit loving me right then. No, he didn't. He never quit loving you. Anyway. All right. Now we're going to go to stones. Now I'm going to give you something before we get on stones. There is a race of people on this earth that are called what? Anybody think Jews? Where does the word Jews come from? How many knows that Jews are heavily involved in the gym industry? They are the people in control of diamonds in the world. If you go to Israel and we've went through, there is a diamond place in Israel where they bring the diamonds in where they've been roughly, you know, when they've been mined. They bring them in there and they start cutting them and polishing them. And they have people trained there and they got these glasses. I mean, it's like they're just, and these people know how to take a rough diamond. How many's ever heard? They take a rough diamond and they cut it 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 and then they polish it and then it is set. I want you to think about me for this a little bit. This was always amazed me. This book of Exodus 28 was written to the children of Israel on their journey out of Egypt to the promised land. Okay. It is amazing to me that God did all this. If you follow this thing, I don't have time tonight to trace this little trail, but everything God did with them, watch this from the butcher of the cattle on the brazen altar to the making of the jewels on the breastplate taught them life skills that they could make massive amounts of money with. I don't know how it is now, but used to in America, all of the major meat packing companies were owned by Jewish people. I don't know that that's true now, but Jewish people knew how to butcher and how to get the most out of it. Where did they learn that at? They learned it doing the sacrifices. God told them exactly how to, what to do with everything. And they used to say they got everything but to squeal. And sometimes they got to squeal out of the pig. How did the Jews get into jewelry business? How did they know what to do with coins and gold and silver and understand all that? Because God taught them in the process of serving him, worshiping him, they learned. Watch this. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. 
for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Yeah. Did you know many of the, uh, somebody was talking, I believe it's Danny preached about the other day, about George Washington, but just back in his time, people still thought, you know, they got this idea, blood them out, that'll heal them. <laughs> when God said all the time, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Right. What I just want to die is, is that the Jewish people are called Jews off of the basis of the jewelry business that they do around the world. I, I watched a video one time of a young Jewish boy. I say young, he's probably 19, 20 years old, who was in the jewel trading business worldwide. And they interviewed him about how it all works. And he said, well, he said, I trade with other Jewish men and we have a bond situation of trust. We never, ever represent a stone differently than it is. But see, I could look at it. And you know what I would do with it? Play marbles with it or throw it. I have no clue what the thing is. They know. They know what it's worth, what it could be. And he talked about how that when he examines the stones that he buys around the world, that he can tell what can be done with it and how you make the maximum amount of money with it. When we were in Israel, I'm talking about they just millions of diamonds. How'd you like to be in a business where every married couple in the world nearly buys what you've got to sell at a high price? Pretty good business. In Malachi. Chapter 3 and verse 17, you listen to this. God calls them my jewels. Amen. And I'm going to tell you something. This also represents the nation Israel. You don't mess with them, they're on the heart of God. You attack Israel, you're attacking the heart of God. Don't mess with them. I watched this past week the raid on uh, Saddam Hussein's nuclear reactor back in <clears throat> when Reagan was president. We, our, our highest intelligence had no idea what they were getting ready to do. Ronald Reagan woke up that morning and uh, his chief of staff told him that they had destroyed it. He said, you what? <laughs> he had no idea. They sent eight jets in, flew 100 feet off the ground, blowed Saddam's uh, nuclear reactor, which, by the way, the French had... Had, and, and enabled him to have. And I'm, can I just be honest with you? I suspect today that the Israeli government has greater nuclear power and capability than the United States and Russia both together. I suspect that. I don't know that, but I do suspect that. They are God's jewels. When this thing all winds up and the whole world's going to be circled around Jezreel Valley there, Valley of Armageddon. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, they're coming out on top of that thing. You watch what I tell you. Jesus Christ is going to make sure. They, you, he's going to say, you don't touch my jewels. And then the second application is, is Christ in the church. We're his jewels. Amen. He said, touch not mine anointed. Anyway, well, let's talk about these jewels. First of all, oh, let's hit this. One of the boys this morning mentioned this. Reggie, how many stones is there? Boy, get this. This is good. Uh, put that deal up there again. I hope you all put it. I'll try to get it speed up and go a little quicker. Uh, how many stones in there? Twelve. What's twelve number in, in the Bible mean? And one of them boys had it. Come right up to me and says, Reggie, there's twelve stones in that breastplate. That's the number of governance. Watch this. Let's go ahead and do something. 
there's a Urim and a Thummim, okay? That Urim and Thummim, if you read your Bible there, it was put inside this breastplate. It was right down inside there. Your Urim and your Thummim, go ahead and do this. It means lights and perfections. It is a picture of the New Testament and the Old Testament, and it was what they sought after. You, you check this out. Saul, David, those men knew they were supposed to go to the high priest and had them to inquire through the Urim and the Thummim. And it was through that that they were to get, watch this, they were to get direction, guidance, and wisdom about every decision they made. Where are you to get your wisdom, your guidance, your everything, where? From the Urim and the Thummim. Yeah. It's the New Testament and the Old Testament. Watch this. We are, we are to be 12 governed by what? How is your life to be governed? By the Urim and the Thummim. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God is saying, don't go anywhere else for wisdom. Don't go anywhere else for direction. In all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. It's the basis for wisdom. God is simply saying, let my word govern your life. Well, let's talk about these stones. There's 12 of them governed by Christ. He's our king, governed by the word, Christ in the word. In the beginning, the word was with God, the word was God. They were chosen, number one. Now listen, I don't preach on this hardly ever at all. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I can't comprehend being chose. And I really can't wrap my brain around the doctrine of, of being chose. All I know, the Bible says it. Amen. Okay? I know this much. You didn't he sure didn't choose me because I was good. Yeah, That's all I can tell you. Secondly, we're precious. The Bible said chosen. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. As living stones, we are chosen and we are precious to God. I want to tell you something about numbers. the third thing about stones. They're different. These are 12 different types of stones. And I'm going to tell you something. It made a beautiful, beautiful thing. If it had all been one kind of stone, it wouldn't have had the radiant beauty that it would have had. Now listen to me. I may not be you and you're not me. And we are different. There is a difference in these stones, but they each have their own beauty. And God wants you and I to appreciate. And if God has set them there and God says they're precious, you and I ought to think each other's precious. And there may be differences in us, but I'm going to tell you something. We need to understand that God made us that way. And I'm glad he did. I'm glad everybody's not the same. Amen. Amen. Now, what you need to get out of this is be glad God made you like he made you. And accept that, all right? Number four, we've got to run. Gems are durable. They're known for their durability. Old, old diamond, pretty tough, amen? Oh, I started asking, you, how many members of uh, Little Roy uh, Lewis? Anybody know Little Roy Lewis here besides me? There's one, only two or three holy people around here that know Little Roy Lewis. Well, Little Roy Lewis and his sisters used to sing a song. Uh, he's going to make a diamond out of me. And it went something like this. I'm just an old piece of coal, but he's going to make a diamond out of me. How many, how's diamonds made? Out of pressure on coal. Mm. So he took his old piece of coal and he, and how's the, how's the diamond made? Pressure. 
And how's God making you into the gym that he wants you to be? Pressure. Woo! Amen. Amen. I mean, he's had a little pressure. <laughs> Try pastoring for 40 years. Pressure. Amen. Hey, in, this is something when you get, God puts you in pressure. But in that pressure, he's taking that old charcoal. I want to throw something at you. I, I don't know why. Is it all right if I unhook my train for just a second and tell some of you kids something to encourage you? Down at Lake of the Ozarks, down at College of the Ozarks, there's a building they have down there called the Keter Center. Anybody ever been there? Keter Center. A bunch of all you kids been there because we went there the other day. Keter Center. That's where we went. They got a big restaurant, motel restaurant. It's a beautiful, beautiful. They got a display there for veterans. I mean, it is one gorgeous piece of property. Well, you go in there and you see this picture up on the wall and this man and woman's there. And, it said, and you find out, read the history about it, this couple gave the money to the College of Ozarks to build that whole thing. And I'm going, hmm, that was a two or three thousand at least. <laughs> there is no telling how many million dollars that Keter Center cost. Now get this. The family that donated that was from down here or in the Bradleyville area and were poor as dirt. And they kind of was in the logging business and they was cutting stave bolts and all that kind of stuff. And there's sawmills around them and nobody could get rid of their slabs. Now, how many knows what a slab is? Not Don's in slab of concrete. We're talking about slabs of wood. And you cut that slab off. Cash knows what a slab is. You cut that outside bark pieces on, turn log, cut it again, turn log, cut it again. And it goes off and goes into a slab pile. And it carried off out there somewhere and it sits there. And then, you know, it's not, it's, it's, it burns some, makes some wood, but it's got a lot of bark on it. And you don't get, you know, it's okay, but you got to buy it pretty cheap for it to be Okay. You know what these people did? Everybody's wanting rid of their slabs. And he got the idea of taking all them slabs and made him a kiln. And he started burning that charcoal down and made charcoal briquettes. And it's called, Nathan, what's the name of the company? Royal Oak. They started what's called the Royal Oak Charcoal Company. And they sell charcoal briquettes that you cook your steaks on worldwide. Now, I tell you that story so that you can know you can be poor, don't know what you're going to do, don't know how you're going to pay the bills. And in America, and in America, the wondrous things can happen. And, and here, before they passed away, they gave that college enough money to build that Keter Center. And yet that's where they teach all these kids to cook and all. And they do all kinds. I mean, it's an amazing, wonderful thing. What I'm saying to you is don't get despaired because things are tough now. Don't want to be super rich. I don't think they, I, I just seriously doubt that they thought taking them slabs and burning them down was going to make them real rich. I really doubt that they did. I think they just thought, maybe hope this works. <laughs> I just told you that story. You need to hear it. I can tell you another family that I had a dairy sale for back in the 80s. I'll just go ahead and tell you this one. I had a dairy sale for them down around Bradleyville. And uh, I didn't know what they was going to do. Dairy was tough. Everybody was going broke. And down in that country, the, the land's not very fertile. How many knows what grows? How many's ever heard of Glade Top Trail? How many thinks that corn would grow real good on Glade Top Trail? There ain't no dirt there. It's glades. 
But there is something that grows on glades. Does anybody know what grows real good on glades? Cedar trees. Cedar trees. They just grow like a bad weed. And in that country down there, there are cedar trees everywhere. And you know what these people did? They bought them a little old band mill. And they went out and started cutting them cedar trees off them glades that nobody wanted, wasn't nothing to them. And now guess what? If you go up to Grizzly at Springfield and you want cedar lining for your closet, you're going to buy their cedar boards that they make. And they're selling cedar closet lining worldwide. Because they took what was around them that God gave them and did something with it. Ah, how did I get off on all that? This jewels, right? Making that. If that would encourage some of you, did you know what? Most people that did well in life financially went broke three or four times before they got there. That's the truth. If you stay it out. I don't know why I got off onto that. But they're durable. All right. Now, another thing gyms are, they're cut. And God's going to cut on you. You don't just pop out of the, you think about a gym. Where do you find them at? Deep down dark? In the dirt. God finds us in the dirt of our sin, the darkness of our sin. Pulls us out and says, you know something? I see something in that person. Woo! Hey, man. I see something that could be, be my glory out of that. And he puts us on, he cleans us up, right? Puts us on, and he puts us on that wheel and puts a grinder to us. Well, we didn't figure on that, did we? But in the New Testament, what's it say? We're going to be conformed, ground on to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then we're polished. Now, listen, I ain't been through much polishing yet. I ain't very polished. But he's, he's working on me, brother. I'm a little bit more polished than I was when I started. I don't want to be too polished yet. Amen. But, but let's get off of that. What's polishing for? Why would God polish the gym? To make it shine. And he wants us to shine for him. Then we're supposed to reflect. Well, that gym, it ain't, it reflects glory is what it does. And it ain't got no light of its own. It's the light that makes it, it's the light that shines on it that gives it its beauty. And you and I don't have any beauty of our own. It's him and his light in us that's the beauty. So we reflect. Well, then he sets us where he wants us. And then, oh, this is a bad one. He not only sets us where he wants us, but he sets us with a bunch of other gyms who don't look like gyms and act like gyms to me. (laughs) Some Some of you got set at the marriage altar. <laughs> God sets you, amen. Anyway, we're set where he wanted them. He unites us with each other. Then he accepts us in the beloved. And uh, then, then those gems are born upon his heart, connected to his shoulder, enclosed in his gold, and presented faultless before the throne of his grace. Now, try to get on through this. I want you to take your Bibles to Exodus chapter 31 and we'll show you something really interesting. Exodus 31. God told them all how they're supposed to make it. And then I, I'm just going to add to the Bible here just a little bit, but not going to do any damage. I figure old Moses said, well, Lord, I'll tell you what, I'll do it exactly like you said, except I, I don't know how to do it. And God says, delegate. 
I'm going to give you some men to do it. Now this is, boy, you're talking about something preach right here. Ooh, mercy. See, I pray, I pray frequently, Lord, send us men who love you, love your word, love their wives, and all they want to do is serve you. Well, Moses had men like that. And in chapter 31, the Lord spake unto Moses saying, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding, in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. He said, here's the guys that I want. He said, and I've filled them with my spirit. I've, I'm the one who put in them to know how to do this, Moses. Two men there, Bezalel. Write this down. It means under the shadow of the Almighty. Under the shadow of the Almighty. Then Uri, he's fiery and energetic. You see, you ain't going to get nothing done by somebody who's wanting to sit there eating moon pies and drinking RC colas in their pajamas all day. Hey, you boys, all of you, throw your pajamas away. I'm about sick of seeing people at Dollar General anywhere else in their pajamas and in their house shoes. Make me sick. I want to go over and go, <laughs> put them out of pajama business. Amen. Two o'clock in the afternoon, go down to Dollar General and they're walking around pajamas, house shoes. That's, what, that's what's going to get America, that kind of garbage. But anyway, how did I get off on that? Anyway, Bezalel is that which, he's un, watch this, he's under the shadow of the Almighty. Where's he living at? He's living under the influence and the power of God. And Uri, it means fiery, he was fiery and energetic. We're going to get something done for God, Amen. Now, I'm going to tell you some enthusiasm comes from the name of God. It means the power and the life of God in you. And I want to tell you something. I, I, when I started preaching, a guy walked up to me and he said, now, Reggie, he said, you're getting to preaching. He said, I'm going to give you the simplest form for preaching there ever was. He said, I had a black friend who was a preacher and said, boy, he just preached the socks off and preached the, the, the carpet off of the pews. And he said, I asked him one day, I said, I said, how do you get to messages? And said, how do you, how, what, what makes you like it? He said, well, first of all, I studies myself plumb fool. And then he said, second of all, he said, I praise myself hot. <laughs> and then he said, third, I let her fly. <laughs> Preaching simple. Amen. Study yourself fool, pray yourself hot and let her fly. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. If you'll study, you'll get so much you don't know what to do with it all. Amen. You will. I'm serious with you. I, I, I'm honest with you. And, and, and so what happened here, this, we know what this is. It's a picture of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's a picture of the work of the Spirit doing all this. Who is going to do? Where, where'd that guy go to? Where, who is going to do all this? The Holy Ghost. It is God that worketh in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. All the cutting, all the selecting, everything. The Holy Ghost is going to be the one who works in you to do it. You are responsible for getting it done. <laughs> They're a type of the Holy Spirit doing the work. I'm going to tell you something. It ain't a preacher. It ain't mom and daddy. 
Some of you kids here, you ain't never going to get saved until the Holy Ghost comes over, overshadows you. And he's going to come visit you. Some Sunday I'll be a preaching and the fear of God will fall upon you and the power of the Holy Ghost will come upon you. And you'll say, I wish he'd shut up. I don't want to get saved. Who saves us? Born of the Spirit. Who guides us? Walk by the Spirit. Being led of the Spirit. It's all the work of the Spirit. Everything I preach to you today is a work of the Holy Ghost. Oh, mercy sakes alive. Anyway, onk stones up on top. We talked about that this morning. Shoulder pieces and connected the breastplate there. Uh, I'm going to, I can't get everything. I want to get to this. We're going home. In chapter 28, go back to chapter 28 <coughs> and verse number 15. This is the last thing we're going to get. And thou shalt make what? The breastplate of what? Judgment. Judgment. Look at verse 29. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel and the breastplate of what? Don't ever forget this. I have preached to you on the breastplate of the high priest, but it is a breastplate of judgment. Look at verse number 30. And thou shalt put in the breastplate of what? Judgment. Urim and Thummim. First of all, there are several things here. Number one, when Jesus Christ, our great high priest, died upon the cross, he bore the judgment of our sins upon him. He was judged for you and I, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being justified by faith. And all that goes on here is, is he was judged in our place. Amen. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just him for the unjust me. Why? That he might bring us to God. And so that's breastbone of judgment tells us this, that the great high priest bore the judgment that was against me. Now I'm going to tell you something. I hope you leave out of here this week. And I hope when you're driving and working and sleeping or waking up and you think about Jesus is more than just Jesus. Amen. He is, a, he is your great high priest. And he bore your judgment. He took my place. He satisfied the just demands of the Holy God. But there's further, this thing is a further breastplate of judgment and not just that our great high priest was judged for our sins. It tells us in this Urim and Thummim that we're to judge ourselves through the word of God. The Bible said if you judge yourselves, you'll not be judged. How can you judge yourself? You have to judge yourself by the word of God. Please don't try to judge yourself apart from the Word of God. You'll come to despair. Do not judge yourself apart from the Word of God. And do not judge yourself apart from the mercy and the grace of God. You'll never make it. But when you're talking about personal daily conduct, what's God wants you to do? Now, this the only verse America knows anymore is judge not that you be not judged. But God says, are you not worthy to judge the least of, of, of things? Yeah. God wants you to judge honestly about your own self. That wasn't right, Reg. Don't rationalize it. Don't justify it. Just be honest. If it's wrong in God's word, it's wrong for you, Reggie. If lying's wrong for you, it's wrong for me. Judge yourself. By what? The Urim and the Thummim. It's not arbitrary judgment. I think, I feel like, or my opinion. You have to judge by the word of God. 
uh, I'm going to use the illustration to see a little bit about something and we need to get right here. <clears throat> Sister came to me this morning in a situation where people was basically accusing you of judging, right? Because she was standing against sodomy. Now you listen to me. I don't want nobody in this church to believe the twisting and resting of Matthew 7, 1. Because they're, ta- they're just like the devil. They'll take a scripture and put it out of, put it out of context. And they'll use on you, judge not that you be not judged. And they'll say, you're judging those people. I'm going to tell you right now, you're supposed to. He that is spiritual judgeth all things. But here's the key. How are you to judge? Righteous judgment, which can only be through the word of God. In America right now, everything's being turned upside down. Good is evil, evil is good. How am I going to keep righteous judgment these days? I have to know this book. And what they're going to try to do is make you feel bad that you judge what's right and what's wrong. Let me tell you, dear brother and sister, you are to judge what's right and what's wrong, not based upon your personal preferences, but upon the word of God. And let me just say clearly tonight that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation condemns sodomy in the strongest terms possible. And if God says it's wrong, it is wrong. It doesn't make any difference what grandma thinks. It doesn't make any difference what grandpa thinks. It doesn't make any difference what anybody thinks. If God says something's wrong, does God say adultery is wrong? Then it's wrong. Does God say lying is wrong? How can I? You see, if we continue to follow this path that we can't judge those people, then after a while, it's going to be, well, who are you to say that you can't rape a seven-year-old child? You see, what they're doing is throwing out the basis of judgment. That's what they really want. They don't want God's judgment upon them. They know, it's, they know, they know they're in trouble. They know if the Bible's real, they're in trouble. And they don't want to be judged. God said, this is a breastplate of judgment. And he said, you're one of my gems and I want you to use the word of God to judge with. Now he doesn't want you to judge with a hateful wanting somebody to go to hell attitude. He wants you to judge them in love. Let me tell you who loves who in this world today. It's the person who tells the person the truth. You tell me. Oh, well, you're condemning them and, and you're supposed to love them and you shouldn't say things like that. I want to tell you right now, if you claim to love somebody who's in sin and you won't tell them, don't tell me you love them. Amen. You won't warn lost man that he's dying and going to hell. Don't you pretend you love them. And you let somebody and somebody's in, in, in wretched sin and you act like it's okay. Yeah. You don't love them. You do not love that person. Let me tell you who loves the person. The person who, you're just greasing their slide to hell. It's all you're doing. And I tell you what, that's wicked. Amen. God wants you and I to judge righteous biblical judgment based upon the Urim and the thumb and the word of God, not our preferences, not our opinions. This is a breastplate of right, a breastplate of judgment upon the great high priest. We are jewels upon his breast. We are to judge righteous judgment. It is a breastplate of judgment. Our judgment of our sin was born in Christ. We are to judge what's right or wrong. Yeah. 
and we're to judge ourselves. Amen. And, he's, and that's what it's about. And the Bible is to be the basis for it. And oh, what a precious thing the breastplate of judgment on our great high priest is. I wouldn't know right from wrong today if it wasn't for that. Yes. Find it interesting. That, I don't know if anybody else has heard that, like radio and different things. They have these advertisements now. New diamonds that are supposed to be better. They're an artificial diamond. They're supposed to be better than the real thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and you know they're they're trying to twist it yep. to where an artificial, artificial, fake gem. Yep. If you would just bear with me a minute or two here, I want to tell you something. You know, we're living the last days, okay? I don't know when the Lord's coming, but I mean, there's no question about it. I will tell you this, not to try to do any deal, but in the days of Noah, it was 120 years from the time God established that he was going to judge him until he did judge him, okay? And so I don't, God may come before I get done preaching. He could, but it might be 100 years. I don't know. But we're living in the latter days, the last time. I, I just want to say this to you. There's going to be a level of deception about who Jesus really is. And there's going to be a, such a, the, the, the real, they're going to have an artificial for everything of the Christian faith. You mark it in your day book. And people are going to say, oh, we've got the real thing. And I'll go ahead and say that if you are left here after the rapture of the church, by the way, and you won't receive the free gift of salvation now, don't talk to me about what you're going to do after, <laughs> about how stout you're going to be. Okay? Because the Antichrist is going to make people think he is the Christ. And people are just wild about signs and wonders. They'll take signs and wonders and experiences over the Word of God. And the Bible said they'll be so deceived. Second Thessalonians, the deception level is going to be high. And I'm telling you, it's coming on. The deception level right now about Jesus Christ, about the Bible, about what's right, about what's wrong is high right now. And unless you're in that book, you're going to get deceived. I'm just being honest with you. Let's stand together. Hey, no, no, wait a minute. I asked two guys, I asked these guys to play a song tonight. Would you come play real quick?